Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. My name is Austin, and I'm a pastor here. It's so good to have everyone in the room. Like, this is our second time meeting as a core team, and it still seems unreal. God has been so good to us. And so some of you are new to the story God is writing in our midst. But one of the things I want our church to be really good at is celebrating God's work. Like just this last week, we launched a, a new college ministry called City Light U. And tons of college students uh, walk away from their faith every single year during college and run after a million lesser things than Jesus. But God is reaching some of the most unexpected people. And this week, in this room, a hundred college students gather to worship Jesus. Like, that matters. I mean, that is God at work. We're, we're not even an official organization on campus yet, and God is not holding back. Like, we can celebrate that God is on the move. And then uh, one of our worship leaders had realized that, man, we really need a keyboard. And so we're looking around. I get a text from a couple in our church that says, hey, can you help us shop for a keyboard? They go out, buy almost a $2,000 keyboard for us to have. I mean, they're giving this great gift to us. And there's this other man in our church that, that on his free time, he comes and helps and feels like his calling is to make this building beautiful. And so he's putting in the new projector and, and changing stuff and moving the chairs around. And it's just been so, so amazing for, for Mo and I to sit back and see so many of you taking ownership in this family and saying, I, I want to be a part of it, not just to take up a seat on Sunday, but to actually serve and actually be a part of this family. So church, I just want to say thank you. It's, it's been a privilege to see. I am so honored. And so Church, you need to know that, that again, we're, we're not a club or a religious organization. We're a spiritual family. And, and like all of your families, we have values that impact what we do, what we celebrate, and what we talk about. And at City Light, we call those values core values. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be defining our core values as a church. And we have four values. Down, up, in, and out. And so last week, my boy Mo preached a great word on down and showed us that God's love is so extravagant that he sent his son Jesus to save sinners. And this is the value that affects every other value. And it's the value that shapes every decision we make, the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for us. And then this week, I get to talk about up, which is our inevitable response to Jesus' grace, that we can't help but to want to be near to him and be more like him. And then next we have in, which is the beautiful reality. This is more than an organization to affiliate with. It's a family to belong to. And lastly, out, which is the mission that God calls us to. As Jesus came for us, so too he sends us to share his news with our city and our world. And so here's why this morning matters. I believe that all too often we reduce the gospel message to a message that we must believe to simply move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And while that's true, we go from there and thank Jesus for dying for us that we can get to heaven. And yet after we believe that message, we go, now what? What do I do now? How do I live? How do I deal with the sin in my life? How do I grow and get better? And unfortunately, what naturally happens is we start living with scorecards. We start making it about our rule following and our morality. And before we know it, we're not experiencing the joy and freedom of the gospel. We're just playing weird religious games. 
And so what I want to show you today in our text is how the gospel starts to change us from the inside out and gives us a fresh affection for God. Like, we don't encounter the gospel and stay the same people. It's, in, it's impossible. Like, we respond to the gospel with hearts filled with a love for God that then motivates us to live for Him. And here's what I want you to see. That internal affections burst out into external actions. And so my first point this morning is that if you love something deeply, you're going to look a little crazy. So let me show you how this plays out in our text. Look with me at Luke 7, verses 36 through 38. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And I want to ask, have you ever looked a little bit crazy because you love something so much? Okay, time for some honesty. Who in here in the room is a crier? Like, just show of hands. Okay, (laughs) a lot more people than I thought. Okay, well, just to let you know, I'm not a crier. So if you thought that I was going to like make you feel better about being a crier, that's not what's happening in this moment. But while my wife and I were dating, she left to go to South Africa and I wouldn't see her for six months. Now, it's like 5 a.m. in the morning at the Omaha airport and we're saying our last minute goodbyes and Kristen, my wife, she just starts crying, like uncontrollably crying. And I get this massive lump in my throat as I'm hugging her. But I'm trying my best not to cry, right? Like, I gotta be the strong, tough dude. I don't know why I think that, but it just is natural in me. So anyways, I'm trying not to cry. And as she walks up the escalator, and we're waving, and I'm, I'm not kidding, as soon as she gets out of sight, I burst into tears. Like, I I am not kidding. It was bad. I couldn't even walk straight. I was so sad. And so I walk out of the airport, and I'm waiting across the street, and this lady smoking cigarettes like, hey, you you all right? I I look at her. I'm just like, no, I'm I'm not. And and City Light, I I was a mess, but, but I didn't care who saw because I realized how much I loved Kristen. And how much I would miss her. Like, no one else really mattered in in that moment. And have you ever had a moment like that? That your eyes are so set on one thing that you could care less about everything else around you? Well, this woman in Luke 7 is having one of those moments where she finds Jesus and all she wants to do is be near to him and show her love for him. But, But like the lady at the airport, there's some people around her that are asking what she's doing. Now, um, as we see in the story, a Pharisee asked Jesus over for dinner, which seems like a nice gesture, right? But Jesus didn't always have the smoothest interactions with Pharisees. And if you're not familiar with who these Pharisees are, they were zealous religious leaders that were extremely strict rule followers. And these dining areas were naturally open, so people walking by could look in and see who was eating there. So some of these dinners were more of a social event than an intimate meal shared between friends. And as they are eating, a woman of the town, which is a nice way to call her a prostitute, hears about their dinner party and brings an alabaster flask. 
Now she comes in not to join in eating or participate in a social event. She comes to wash Jesus' feet. Man, this is bold. This is bravery. And it's the very first glimpse we see of true affection in this passage. Coming from a broken sinner prostitute. See, rather than using Jesus as a social stepping stone to look better, this woman breaks up the social event and is the object of judgment and embarrassment. She's not all put together with her best face on. She's broken at the dirty feet of Jesus, weeping so much that her tears are used to wash his feet. And so just a reminder, people of this age didn't have like sweet hipster boots or or Nikes or Jordans. They had open-toed sandals at best and most likely would go barefoot. And so Jesus' feet weren't clean, but this woman sits weeping at his feet, washing them with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And I want you to see how different are the interactions between the Pharisee and the prostitute. So in in verse 39, Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, if this Jesus, if you were a, a prophet, he would surely know that this woman that's touching him is a sinner. And, and I mean, how, how different can these be? Like the Pharisees concerned with, with the sins of the woman and whether or not Jesus is a prophet. But this woman doesn't care who's in the room. She's with Jesus. And that's all that matters. She has finally found what her heart has desperately searched for for all of those years through all the men. And all the sleepless nights and, and the hurt and the tears and through all of those sneers, she finds the one her heart has been yearning for, Jesus. She doesn't care what people think of her if she's crazy or if she should hold herself in a different way. She doesn't care if they know her brokenness. She has finally found her protector, the one man that didn't come to to use her, but the man that came to love her. And so you see in this instance the difference between religion and the gospel. See, this religious man is more concerned with other people's sin than he is about his own sin and his own need for grace. He's more concerned with being proper and being socially normal. And yet this woman could care less what everyone else thinks. She comes off scandalous and crazy. See, religion says this is what you have to do to be in the in crowd. But the gospel says you're freed from the bondage of other people's opinions because you can rest in the unconditional perfect love of Jesus. Religion says, go to Bible studies, listen to these podcasts, serve every day of the week, do, try harder and be better, but the gospel says it is finished. I did for you what you could never do for yourself. See, religion says try and the gospel says respond. This woman is experiencing the freedom of the gospel and it's welling up in her heart to abandon herself to Jesus. And I want to ask, what would this look like in our lives? I mean, honestly, no one else in the room. It's just you and Jesus. Would you be standing with your hands in your pockets, unmoved by his grace and presence? Would you be checking your phone and hoping time passes quickly? No, I I guarantee you would become unraveled by the loving and holy presence of of Jesus, that you and I, like this woman, would be convicted of our sins, but then comforted by God's great love and forgiveness. But but what would it look like for your day tomorrow if you were unashamed of your love for Christ and his love for you?
See, the person that has encountered Jesus' grace doesn't pray because they are supposed to. They pray because they want to. Like the person that has experienced the lavish forgiveness of Christ doesn't read their Bibles to get smarter and look better. They read to see the glory of God and just spend time with Him. Man, I I don't know if there are many more joy-filled moments in my life than when I look and see hands lifted, glorifying Jesus and surrendering to Him. Now, I know some of you have pushed back and you're like... Man, I, I don't know about raising hands. Like it's, it's uncomfortable and kind of weird, especially for the new people that come into our church. And if they see us worship like that, they'll be freaked out and not want to come back. But, but City Light, that is such a lie. Like We have too many half-hearted organizations and causes in this world. No one is going to want to get on board with us if we're half-hearted and uncommitted. People want to see passion. And if... If we really will abandon ourselves for this cause, people might actually start to understand that Jesus isn't just a cool guy or a nice idea, but that he is Lord and a gracious redeemer. Amen? Like, he's good and we we should represent that in our lives. And even even this morning, I, I want you to think, if during this next song, a woman comes up to the foot of the stage and she just starts weeping uncontrollably and falls on her face worshiping Jesus, would you be okay with that? And even farther, could you see yourself as that person? When we love something deeply, we look a little crazy. And so, so my second point is that when we love something deeply, we'll give anything for it. And so I want you to look at this alabaster flask that this woman has. Now, In verse 37, it says that that she brings it. And then in verse 38, it says that she poured the fragrant oil from the alabaster flask on Jesus' feet. And so so track with me on this. This wasn't a little jar that you pour out like we pour out syrup for our pancakes on Saturday morning. No, this alabaster flask was a little bottle that she would have actually worn around her neck. And and the fragrant ointment that... Um, inside of it was very, very, very expensive. It would have smelled extremely good. So some scholars believe that it would have been worth between three to five years' salary. That uh, your total income, that would be three times that to five times that. So this isn't just like a little thing. This is everything. And she would have used it for her career as a prostitute. So when she would sleep with men, the main attraction would be that she has fragrant ointment that smells good while you were intimate. And so they didn't have Dove back in the day, all right? So people stunk. Like, they didn't, didn't smell super good. And so this prostitute's main source of income was based on this flask and the fragrant oil inside of it. The flask had a thin spout at the top of the bottle that allowed the scent to come out without it being easily spilled. And so if it were turned over, it would slowly drip one drop at a time. And so the text implies that to pour this ointment on Jesus' feet, she would have had to break the flask. And she gladly did for the glory of Jesus. Like she broke her one source of income, her identity, and her comfort to pour out on Jesus' feet. And as I've been reflecting on why in the world this woman would do this, Jesus graciously reminded me of three words. I am better. 
See, this woman didn't hesitate to give her all to Jesus because she finally saw him at his true, infinite value. Her career no longer held the number one spot in her heart. Jesus occupied that position now. And can I honestly ask you, what's your alabaster flask? Where is your comfort if it's not in Christ? Is it your relationship? Is it your money, your education, your house, your car, your time? Like what are you holding on to that you consider more valuable than Jesus? And, and, and Paul shows us the great value of Jesus in Philippians 3, 8. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. See, Paul and this woman both sing this resounding statement that Jesus is better. But do you actually believe he is better? And so here's how it played out in my life. Once I finally experienced the love of Jesus, a woman on a computer screen was no longer satisfying. When I saw all that the love of God was secured for me by the life of Jesus, I stopped yearning to be the most liked guy around. When I saw that Jesus gave his very life for me, I gladly started writing checks to support my church and other missionaries. But see, this didn't happen because I wanted to be more pure and more secure and more generous. It happened because I finally saw the beauty of Jesus. And see, when I start to slip back into old patterns of sin, trying harder isn't the answer. It never will be. The only thing that can rescue me from that is asking God to make himself precious to my heart to beg him to be, to make himself the number one thing in my heart that I would see his true beauty. And so let's read Luke 7, 40 through 50. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 And then when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And now which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. (laughs) For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, man, how sweet are these words to delight. Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
See, this woman comes broken and leaves beautiful. She comes filthy with sin and leaves cleansed by the love of Jesus. She comes enslaved and she leaves free. She comes with burdens and leaves with peace. See, this woman loves much because she has been forgiven much. Her pile of filthy debt and sin is wiped away by the divine forgiveness of Jesus. She needed him desperately. But the Pharisee seems to have it all figured out and doesn't think he has to be forgiven of much. And you have to see that it's not that the Pharisee was better or worse than the woman. The difference was their understanding of their need for Jesus to forgive this great debt that they have accumulated. Look at verse 32. 42. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Jesus is showing Simon, the Pharisee, that no matter how good he is, he has a debt that needs to be paid. See, sin is a great and heavy debt which we in and of ourselves cannot pay. And Jesus graciously points out to Simon that there isn't just one prostitute in the room. We are all prostitutes. We just sell ourselves to something different. See, Simon sold himself to social status and a clean resume. And yeah, that may look better on paper, but let me assure you, we all have a debt that needs to be paid. And have you lived your life like the Pharisee? Under the pressure of trying to to look like everything is together and everything's fine and, and putting your hope in religion. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. It's okay to be messy because no matter the mess, his healing hands can restore any situation, though her sins, which are many, are forgiven. So who is this Jesus that even forgives sins, even the worst of sins, even the most hidden sins? He is the son of God, the great redeemer of this world that would leave perfect heaven to die for the very people that are killing him. And he doesn't forgive our debts because we are cleaned up or because we will get better. He tells this woman in the midst of her mess, your faith has saved you. It is faith alone in Christ alone that saves a broken sinner. And it's faith alone in Christ alone that saves a prideful rule follower. And so see again the difference between religion, this rule following, and the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save us. See, a religious heart asks, what's the minimal I can give and still get by? But a heart saved by Jesus says, all I have is yours. And see, a religious heart says, I have to do this. And a heart saved by Jesus says, I want to do this. The Pharisee invited Jesus in but didn't give him water or a towel or oil to wash his feet. But the woman used her tears to wash his feet and wipe her hair, um, wipe them off with her hair. And then broke her most expensive possession to pour on his feet. City Light, when you have truly seen what Jesus has done for you, no area of your life is off limits. And as I prayed over this, I wanted something big and something mighty to show you about how great Jesus is. But God reminded me of John chapter 13, where Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. 
The Son of God, perfect, blameless, without sin, washes the, the dirty feet of sinful men, one of which being a man that would deny him and another that would betray him. And yet Jesus was still faithful to men that were unfaithful. On the floor, Jesus scrubs off the dirt that has been accumulated from their journey. And in the same way now, today, Jesus takes upon himself our mess to make us clean. Now, friends, do you really believe that Jesus is better than anything else? See, the soul that truly feels its sins counts nothing too good and too dear for Christ. For the forgiven Christian, Jesus becomes our treasure and greatly surpasses every other possession. And so I I want you to think, what is your alabaster flask? Like, what do you value more than God? Again, is it your self-righteousness, your sense of goodness you hold on to? Is it your kid's success in school and in sports? Is it your dreams to be successful? Is it your retirement fund? I don't know, but whatever you love supremely, whatever your alabaster flask is, has it ever washed your feet? Would it die for you? Would it remain by your side though you were unfaithful? Did whatever you devote your life to create and name every star in the sky, does whatever you love actually love you back and give itself fully to you without any requirement of reciprocation? And I can confidently plead with you that Jesus is better. He is. He won't leave you if you get sick or grow old. His love can't be burned up in a fire or blown away by a storm or swayed by the stock market. He alone is worthy of our love. And so how is he calling you to love him so much that you look a little crazy? Maybe it's raising your hands for the first time during musical worship. Or maybe it's letting the people you work with know that you love Jesus. Or for the college students, maybe it's staying in and not going to the party this next Friday. I don't know what it is, but how is he calling you to love him so much that you look a little crazy? And how is he calling you to love him so much that you would give anything for him? Man, as I'm just praying, hey, God, I hope you're calling a couple people to write a big check. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but, but, but honestly, I mean, is Jesus calling you to actually worship him with your bank account? Or, or maybe he's calling you to join a city group and be in community with other Christians. But, but here's what I do know that no matter who you are, the religious rule follower that's holding on to a clean resume or the rebel that's just realizing the depth of your sin, there is grace and forgiveness offered. It is by faith that you are saved. And if you experience that salvation, your only natural response is to love Jesus with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And so would that be true of us, City Light, that our lives are committed to the one who laid his life down for us? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm blown away by your love, that your grace expands over the, the rebel and the rule follower. It expands over the prostitute and the Pharisee, that God, your grace can save a great midst of people, any person that would put their faith in you. And so this morning I pray more than anything else that you would open our eyes to see who you really are, that we would see your beauty and your grace and your glory and your supreme value than everything else in our life, that we would understand that you are better 
that you really are greater. And so, Jesus, we need you and your spirit to guide us and make that happen. We can't do it in and of ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that we would see our sin for what it really is, disgusting and great, but God, we would also see your grace wash over all of that. That where our sin increased, your grace abounded all the more over it. And so, Father, as we worship, as we go from here, would we really wrestle with this alabaster flask? And would you give us the strength to break that alabaster flask and pour it on your feet and value you as supreme? And so I love you, Father. You're a great God that cares for us deeply. And so I pray that, that we would see you just for who you are. And so I love you. I praise you. It's in your precious and holy name. Amen.